Mm, mm, yeah. I'm going to miss that music. I'm going to miss it. It's our Labor Day fiesta. That might be uh, the last of the skater music. You guys, it's the Loftus party. It's Labor Day weekend. We wanted to do something special, and we still wanted to have a good time with the people we care about. So, like, everybody's hanging out on the beach. It's the last big weekend of the summer. Sun's out, bun's out. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, what I thought we'd do, uh, we've had some fantastic uh, interviews recently. Let's turn you on to some of those. Kind of a greatest hits, kind of a clip show. And then we'll be back next week with all new stuff. So here's how it's going to go. Uh, we've got here's, – here's the lineup. It's Murderer's Row. It's one of those times where I, I'm, I'm super pleased with this podcast. I'm super pleased with this show. Here's what we got coming up. We've got uh, uh, Selena Zito. Fantastic. She's all over the press right now. Fantastic reporter. Drove across the country. She, she saw the whole Trump thing coming because she actually gets out of her car and talks to people. We got uh, Kurt Schlichter. That wild man. That that debonair jackal of the internet. You've seen him on Fox News. You've seen him all over Twitter. And then we're going to close it out uh, with my interview uh, with uh, Brian Kilmeade from Fox and Friends. B- Brian and I, uh, we both share. We both. I have a big stand-up bit about the War of eighteen twelve. Brian had just written a book about the War of eighteen twelve, specifically the Battle of New Orleans. So we talked about that. Uh, we talk stand-up comedy. Uh, It's fantastic. It's a good time. So enjoy the show. And then next week, I'll be back uh, with the Liberty Gimlet and and Kung Fu Rick. And we'll have an all new show. Who knows what surprises we'll have. So let's start things off on a special Labor Day episode of the Loftus Party. Here's the Liberty Gypsy. She sat down and was talking to the one and only, the fantastic, the righteous journalist, Selena Zito. And now we'd like to welcome to the show Selena Zito. You'll know Michael is strangely absent from this particular interview, but I'm going to (laughs) go ahead and barrel it through it myself. Um, You all may know Selena from being a CNN contributor. She also writes for the New York Post and is a staff reporter for the Washington Examiner. Prior to that, you were with the Pittsburgh Tribune. Is that correct? That's true. True. That's where that's I first. True. That's where I first saw you. True so. story. Huh? <laughs> true story. True story. And now Selena is on the road talking about her book, The Great Revolt, inside the populist coalition reshaping American politics. And when I started to. St- to follow Miss Zito very closely is when I was never Trump and she was telling me he was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which, which people mistakenly believe because I said he was going to win that I voted for him. I don't vote in elections that I cover, but I couldn't ignore what was happening in my reporting just because I did or did not like him. It right. was evident to me in July of 2016. In fact, I wrote in July of 2016, um, hey, you guys, it's over. Y'all just don't know it yet. (laughs) And I said, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it made a lot of people not like me because in this sort of day and age in reporting, people mistakenly believe 
because you report something, you support it. And I have lost oxygen in trying to explain to people, I'm just doing my job. (laughs) Well, and if you follow Selena on Twitter, what you find her most common question is, is did you read the article? (laughs) (laughs) I I try to be really nice about that. Yes, you do. You're actually one of the nicest people on Twitter, so... (laughs) You're always uh, very, you. you're very measured and very um, congenial. And even when somebody is just being awful to you, you're like, well, hmm. <laughs> you know. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Or that's right. a different take. Um, <laughs> you know, but um, seriously, you were very much out in the forefront of kind of saying, I think you're missing a demographic here in the population. I think you're missing part of this movement. Um, What did you, kind of looking back, not so much during the primary, but what, once Trump won, what were some of Clinton's fatal mistakes in in the general election? Well, Oh, a couple of the obvious ones, she didn't show up, mm-hmm. but she also, like, she, the, the Democratic Party just did not listen to sort of what voters were, were telling them. And, and honestly, neither did the Republican Party. <laughs> you know, Donald Trump, to me, and this is really outlined in The Great Revolt, is Donald Trump um, sort of blew up both political parties. Mm-hmm. And, and both parties, I believe, were, uh, won't be the same, uh, at least for a while after this, because neither party was sort of paying attention and or listening to what the voters were telling them. You know, You know, in 2006, when Democrats won, I said, this is not because people like Democrats more, right? Mm -hmm. That's not why they threw Republicans out. It's just that um, the Republicans stopped listening. And I said the exact same thing in 2010 when Republicans beat the Democrats. I warned, you know, I sort of warned voters uh, I mean, I sort of warned Democrat Republicans and said, "You guys, they don't like you more. Um, they, they just like Democrats less." And and there there's a lesson to be, you know, voters keep sending you a message, but you keep ignoring that message and think because you won, it's because they like you again. They don't. They just like the other party less. And so this coalition has been building. Trump didn't cause this coalition. He just is the result of it. So in reading your book, one of the things I noted, because after the election, you and your associate Brad Todd, who is from Purple Strategies, did I get that correct? No, no, from On Message. On Message, I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. Yeah, no, you guys did a lot of polling before you actually went out and did the research. Am I getting that right? 
Yeah, well, no. Okay, so this is how we did it. We decided to take a look at the 10 counties in the five Great Lakes states of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa mm-hmm. that essentially gave Trump the, the, the flip the country from Obama to Trump. And we went to the 10 counties that voted Obama, Obama, Trump. And we and I interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And then we took those interviews and we broke down the voters into seven different archetypes of voters that people missed during the election. And we, we, we picked three of them out of each uh, of the archetypes and told their stories. And, you know, people really got very personal, you know, and, and told their stories, stories and journey towards Trump. And, um, and, and so after we did all of that, we then went and did a poll to back it up in those same five states to make sure that what we found wasn't anecdotal, right? That it okay. reflected what Trump voters, how Trump voters um, felt and, um, and sort of saw this, um, this election and, and sort of why they voted the way that they did. I mean, this is the only, this, vote, this book is not about Donald Trump. It's no. about the people that put him into office. And I think it's incredibly important. If you didn't see the Trump coalition coming, this book is for you. Um, Trump and his voters broke both political parties. They broke the national media. And they are going to break more institutions if they don't get the cultural respect they deserve. Well, and that was really evident to me in the profiles I've had the opportunity to read. Red blood, blue collared, excuse me, peroistas, is that correct? Um, Yeah. Rough Um, rebounders, girl gun power, and rotary reliables. I mean, I know all these people. (laughs) They're my friends, my family, my community, even sitting here in North Georgia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, this book is, like, so, yeah, I'm not saying this because I wrote it. I'm saying this because if we want to understand what's going on in this country, uh, it's really important to understand who these voters are. Right. And this book, this book goes to places that were won by Trump and Obama to find the voters who changed and changed Washington as a result. It only took 77,744 vote margin in three states to flip this election. Right. There were more than enough Obama voters in those states available to Hillary, but Trump persuaded them. And this book sort of blows up misconceptions about the Trump voter. They are optimistic about their own financial situation. They are optimistic about their own lives. They're not optimistic about their communities. That's why it's localism, not nationalism. Um, well, the other thing I saw, oh, I'm sorry. The other thing I saw no, no, is no. they don't want to be taken care of. They want to take care of themselves and their families. Absolutely. They are fiercely independent. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are fiercely independent. And, and, you know, and then there's, like, I always love, you know, the, 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 try, the, shy, the shy Trump voters were very, very interesting to me. Um, and I would 
see them in 2016. So that was, again, why Brad and I wanted to write this book, to understand that this is what happened in 2016 as fluke or a new a formation of a new populist coalition. And we've determined that this is a new populist conservative coalition. And, and it is, and if, if the peak of a movement is like Mount Everest, <laughs> we're at base camp. Wow. And, and we're still either making fun of it or ignoring it or mocking it or compartmentalizing it into three sentences that says white, dumb, uneducated, and bigoted. Mm-hmm. And, and that is not what this coalition at all is at all. Well, I've already said in 2020, if the left keeps it up, they're going to make me vote for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've oh, just, they've completely, uh, one thing, I, I think the Republicans are trying to fit back into the, into the race, right? They're trying to support what they can support. Look at them and say, did you really tweet that? You know, they're trying to manage him or maybe like sort of could you maybe move this way over here a little bit they're trying to work with him even though he wasn't their guy I mean he wasn't Paul Ryan's guy he wasn't Mitch McConnell's guy that much was evident um you know whereas the Democrats are just everything he does people are gonna die I mean I even saw that with him appointing Kavanaugh Right, Kavanaugh is going to go through the nomination process for Supreme Court judge justice, and you know Terry McAuliffe is going to tweet as a result of Kavanaugh being confirmed, millions of people will die. No, they won't. No, <laughs> I mean this they hyperbole won't. is you know, everywhere, though. Well, I mean that's that's a big problem for the Democrats. Um, I, I believe that. That that sort of type of rhetoric, it turns out the very people that you want to win over. Okay, so to win in 2018, in November, Democrats need to win over independent voters mm-hmm. and never Trumpers, um, you know, like yourself. And that type of rhetoric, I believe, turns all off suburban, never Trump voters, and they will do one of two things. They will eventually just vote for Trump, not because they like, vote for a Republican, not because they like Trump, but because they like some of the results of the things that he has accomplished, but also because they see an over-the-top reaction to everything that turns them off. They, they look around and say, well, well, I don't see my Republican congressman like that. And, and, and I, I still hold the same values that my m- member of Congress, my Republican member of Congress or my challenger holds. I, I can't vote for the Democratic Party because it's lost its marbles. Well, and not- when you lose your mar- marbles, you know, you, you lose voters. Well, not only that, I'm reading your book, and you've got a lot of small business owners in there, uh, the gun 
one of the girls in Girl Gun Power and I think Rough Rebounders are both small business owners. Um, yep. Very interested oh, in the Amy tax cuts, etc. Um, Amy and Cindy. I love yeah. those. I love both of those women. <laughs> um, no, they're really great personal stories. And I think, you know, I never had the personal opinion of Trump voters that, you know, certainly was out in the media or, you know, even some high profile never Trumpers had. I mean, you know, there's some people that I really used to like and respect that have not handled this well um, and not handled Trump voters well or people who support Trump well. And they're losing credibility. And I think they're probably losing income at this point. Um so, you know, I woke up election morning and said, okay, he's the president. Never Trump is a thing of the past. I'm going to clap when he does good things, and I'm going to say yuck when he does bad things. I mean, that's the best I can do. Right. Um, but I'm also not going to vote for Kamala Harris because Trump does dumb tweets. I mean, that that's crazy. I'm not a socialist. Um, <laughs> but when I look at what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and people like Kristen Gillbrand and um, some others are out in front, you know, certainly Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders are out in front of at this point. They're out in front of this outright socialist that was elected in New York City saying she's the future of the Democratic Party. Um, They've promised to raise taxes. They've promised to basically open the borders. Um, They're doing Medicare for all when Obamacare is failing by bits and pieces. Um, I'm reading, you know, certainly gun control is on their agenda. They're very clear about that. I'm reading your profiles and I can't see any of these Obama, Obama, Trump voters going, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, um, uh, I'm just, so I'm very cautious about, uh, um, a blue wave. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, historically, the party in power loses seats. Whoever whoever holds the presidency, his their seat. I mean, their their party usually loses House and or Senate seats. Right. I think that I think that the um, Republicans end up winning a couple of seats um, in the um, in the midterms in Senate seats. I and I'm not convinced, despite polls telling me otherwise that the Democrats um, take the House. Doesn't mean they don't. I just don't see any evidence of it yet. Right. Uh, I, I think that um, that I, I just got back from Bucks County, Pennsylvania um, for the newly redrawn first um, uh, uh, congressional um, House seat there. It's held by Republican Brian Fitzpatrick. He's um, uh, running a. Um, he's being challenged by Scott Wallace, who hasn't lived in the de- district for decades. He's a Democrat. He's a pretty strident progressive, and I don't know that that quite fits with Bucks County um, Democratic um, uh, voters. Well, this no. is a pretty moderate district. Uh, it's, it's a classic swing seat. It's been held by moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans and swing back and forth for, you know, for most of, uh, the, you know, sort of modern um, politics. And uh, I, I'm, you know, people have that as a toss up. And I got back from it uh, today and I'm like, hey, you know, 
Well, I'm not quite convinced. In fact, the two two of the three women that I interviewed were all three women were Democrats. Mm-hmm. And two of the three women said, you know, who are what you would consider super Democrats, suburban professional women mm-hmm. who are going to vote for Fitzpatrick because they think he he fits the district, and well, they're not they're you know so. I'm, you know, you know me, I'm like, eh, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a bandwagon person. I'm more like drive out and see what's going on in the county person. Right. And you and I have talked on TL several times about the complete absence of the blue dog candidate and, and how the far left is actually pushing the DNC not to nominate those people. Yeah. And see, that's what I think the challenge is. Mm-hmm. You know, they need more of the Connor Lambs in, the, in their um, in their uh, races and less of the Scott Wallaces. We should be, um, you know, waves can can certainly pull the the most misfitting uh, um, candidates over the over the finish line. Right. I'm just not seeing that yet. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but I'm not seeing that evidence of that yet. Well, and now you see some interesting phenomena. Um, You've got a movement that's growing daily on Facebook run by a young man named Brandon Straka called Walk Away, former Democrat, gay hairdresser who says, nope, I'm done with the Democrats. Um, You've seen another movement for a while now called now, I guess they call it the Intellectual Dark Web. It's, It's Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro, but a lot of people like, um, Brett Weinstein and Eric Weinstein, who basically even even Clay Tippins, the guy that got in trouble on CNN for saying First Amendment and boobs, um, they're actually moving away. From, some of Tippins was actually a Democrat operative. I mean, he worked Democrat campaigns like Kerry and Gore, um, and he's done at this point. Ruben is done. Um, you're seeing a lot of people who've been pushed out because they've said, guys, you've gone too far. Um, are you seeing an opportunity for, you know, a moderate Republican or someone like Trump through good stewardship and results to even attract people like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, even if you look at the, the people in the, good, the Great Revolt, uh, mm-hmm. two-thirds of the people that we interviewed w- voted for Obama twice. And right. Like, and, and became part of this coalition, and 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 will remain in this coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think that there's opportunities uh, for moderate Republicans to be able to uh, win and hold seats. And um, you know, I I I'm just as I said, I'm just you know, the, the people outlined in the Great Revolt probably fit perfectly in the walk. Um, walk away sort of uh, movement that you see on, on the internet. If, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if they were asked, but because they did their profiles fit that. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just not convinced yet that, um, that we're seeing enough voices being reflected in the polls uh, that show that, that Republic, that Democrats have a problem. Right. I know a lot of people who won't even participate in polls at this point. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> so exactly. Anyway, 
Anyway, I know you have a hard stop coming up, so I would just like to thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us today. And again, this is Selena Zito. You can see her on CNN, read her stuff in the New York Post, as well as her articles in the Washington Examiner. But most important, if you want to get a little better understanding (laughs) about what's going on in our political environment, pick up a copy of The Great Revolt. Um, It's by Selena Zito and Brad Todd, and I imagine you have audiobook as well. Oh, yeah, and the audiobook is great. He does this guy from the Midwest, and he does such a great job. I was really, really happy with it. You know, sometimes audiobooks, you know, like live or die by the uh, by the narrator, and, right. and I was really happy with the narrator on, on the book. So if you haven't picked up a copy, get on Amazon right now and do it, and thank you so much, Selena. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. Can you dig it? Can you dig it, brothers and sisters? I'm having a blast. I lo- you know what? I love having an interview show. I love that we can even do a clip show. Uh, so I dig Selena Zito. Let's keep it rolling. Let's keep the whole thing going. Here, uh, here's me talking with uh, uh, Kurt Schlichter, the wild man, the madman. If you if you listen closely. You can hear Bitey in the background. He's not happy. Here's me and Kurt Schlichter. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, right now we have a guest joining us. As promised, we got the one and only Kurt Schlichter here with us today on the Loftus Party. Hey, good morning, Kurt. How you doing? I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not digging the weather. You and I, now here's what, uh, we, we met briefly at a, a CPAC like two years ago, right. an, an insanely lame, yeah. an insanely lame year. I thought it was going to be like just conservatives going nuts. It was, it was very, it was very tidy. It was, uh, it was very l- low key. But we're both Southern California guys. I didn't, I didn't know that about you. I don't know why. I always, I always thought you were like an East Coast guy. Oh God, no! I'm a Californian. Now, were, are you born and raised out here? Um, I. I was born in Ohio, and then I moved to Northern California at like age six. Okay, hold, hold the right phone. near San Francisco. I'm from Ohio. I, uh, I I grew up I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Where are you from in the Buckeye State? Cincinnati, home oh! of weird chili. <laughs> that chili's the best. Cincinnati chili. Holy smoke! Okay. All right, so uh, we won't we won't regale people with stories of of chili. I want I want to get into in, into some hardcore meat. Uh, you've you've served your country. You're quite outspoken on Twitter, and uh, you're an author. We, I don't I don't even know where to start. Let's, let's I'm start a multi talent. I'm a multi talented Renaissance man. <laughs> <laughs> a Renaissance man. So so here's what I don't understand and. Uh, you're a practicing lawyer as well, yeah. That is true. I do. And, I, I, and I, I do the law thing. And you're you're a, a poet, poet, and you also I'm tour with Cirque du Soleil. Well, I'm a noted rapper. Uh, <laughs> What's your rap MC, name? Cool, MC Cool Slick, and <laughs> you know I'm I I continually drop rhymes and bust moves. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of street credibility. Um, you know, I'm I you know I unite the east side, the west side, and the south side. You the know hell what? with those it's, north side guys. They can that's kiss my. What I've, what? That's what I was about to say. It's those north, the north side people. They've really dug in. You can't even. I talk. know, really, and their raps are lame and unimaginative, and mostly revolve around <laughs> what they had for lunch. 
a lot of food-based wraps in the north side. Yes, that's that. They're all about that. And uh, and I've seen you at a lot of the MC battles in downtown. Uh, yeah. Los Angeles. And, and it's ugly, you know, you'll get in there and, and the Northside guys are just not good. He's like, yo, 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 I was eating hummus and you're dumbest. And it, right. No, that's just that's not a great rap. No, it's not. And you, it, it, yeah. Uh, and, and they rhyme falafel with careful. I, don't, <laughs> I, I just think that's lazy. It is. It's it's lazy freestyle. Uh, and I hope someday we can bring the North Side people back into the the MC battle fold. But I think sadly we have to give up on them now because it's just just the fact that you've you've united the East Coast and the West Coast and the South Side uh, is huge. And that's you know I built uh, bridges. I'm I'm an engineer. I I you know I'm the United Nations of hip hop. Okay, it's pretty so clear. We have, we have that in MC common. Cool Slick. MC Cool Slick. That, that's that's old school, and I love it. Okay, uh, let's. I want I want to talk about uh, Indian country. I was on Twitter last night scrolling through. There was some woman saying that she she had just dove into Indian country. Uh, t- is is that your first book? Your second book? What? Oh, I don't even know what number it is. It's my second novel. The first one is People's Republic, and I'm actually writing a third called Wildfire. I'm about a third through it, and I have the cover. It is badass. Uh, <laughs> And then I've got good because like, that's how I judge. <laughs> well, yes. Don't, don't get me start on cover because I have a I have a publisher for the, the the other one, Militant Normals, which is coming out in October, and that's nonfiction. And Dude. you know, I, I I'm going to write three books this year. Okay, now th- this is one thing that, that like like fascinates me. I'm I'm a uh, I'm a stand up comedian and uh, and a writer. I was a stand up. You seem pretty stable for a standoff. You know what it is? You know what it is? I don't like to crank it up uh, in the early morning hours. I save I save uh, most of my comedy for the actual performance. I f- here's what I here's what I find insanely boring. If you've ever hung out with a comedian that doesn't have an off switch and they have to constantly try to prove how funny they are, that is tedious and boring, and I cannot stand it. All the comedians I used to hang out because I, I do we do like a thing at Victorville and like four of us would go up there and we'd be in the car and my wife would be in the car and they're like the least funny people. Yes, they, they're all like, I got a lot of personal issues. My mom's sick. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of money for food. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. and I was I, I was doing I was still a lawyer. I was still in the army at the time, too. And I was like relatively I just liked being funny. I was a much better writer than performer. And yeah. everyone wanted to write with me because I can, you know, I'm funny. And but I would I would go out and I do shows with people wherever. And I, I had this group of friends who really wanted to be full time stand ups. And a lot of them were just sad. Yeah. A lot of them were like, I got a lot of personal problems. I I, I don't know why I was always happy. Maybe that's what made me not want to stay keep doing stand up or the fact that Uncle Sam made me come back on active duty. Right. Um, it was always it was always a real bummer when you go out uh, you would go out on the road and you're like a, a happy go lucky guy and you would be hanging out with uh, like the bad luck schlep rocks of the world. Uh, just wowzy wow. I, I think that's woo. just I think it's easier to be unhappy as a comic. Just like it's easy to, you know, if you're a girl comic, you know, hey, I got this tampon bit. Or, you know, if you're a guy, yeah. you know, what's the deal with chicks? Hey, uh, and, and a lot ever, of people would fall into what into their, uh, you know, comic stereotype. I, I remember people would push me, do lawyer jokes. And I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. A lawyer is just simply one of the things I do. I've got a lot of things I want to talk about. And, you know, 
though I did have some funny lawyer bits. It wasn't <laughs> because I was a lawyer. It was because they were – I always tried to be funny. I was funny before I was a lawyer. I was, you know, I, I was writing jokes in the 80s. I was – you remember NTN? They, uh, you go to bars and they have those uh, trivia questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wrote the TV ones. That's great. Remember that? Yeah, they go in like, uh, you know, what was uh, what was uh, McCoy's uh, nickname in Star Trek? And then they'd have like a little joke about Star Trek. Hold on. I'm walking through the house and the dog's barking because the kid didn't bring his keys. So I'm on like a show opening the door for you. All right. That's my woke eight year old. Oh, is he one of those that like uh, you know? I, I I asked my dad this morning if I could go to the protest with him, and <laughs> yeah, I asked my dad why does Trump hate uh, young Guatemalan immigrants uh, seeking a new life away from uh, economic and uh, uh, terrorist hardship? Those are my the favorite. Tears in his tweets. eyes. Those I are my favorite. Those. Hey, just so really quickly, mine's all bring- more like you know single malt. Dad, why do some people drink you know single malt? <laughs> how will how will these the tariffs uh, hurt the bourbon exactly. industry? Exactly. Yeah. So, hey, did you ever did you ever do stand up? The at- aluminum tariff regimen going to affect America's trade relations with Norway? My four year old was asking me that last night. It was crazy. Exactly. It's did you ever do stand up at at Go Bananas? Okay. <laughs> Let's see. I did the Giggle Works. Yeah. Uh, the Chuckle Barn, uh, Laffy's, Chuckleys. There was a great there was a great club in Cincinnati called Go Bananas, uh, and it was fantastic. It was like in the basement. I never did anything in the, I never did anything on the East Coast. Okay, all right. So you you came out west, and and you uh, you you've done the at age six. <laughs> at age six, wow. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't take Ohio. People were open and genuine there, and I had to get away from that. Okay, so I want to I want to get back to the writing because like it's all I can do to like churn out uh, a forty four page sitcom. That that's like a lot of work. I'm I really really admire people who write books. How do you handle uh, the full time job of of b- being a lawyer? And uh, I know you do you do Fox News a bunch. You're on a lot of those shows, and now yeah. you say you're writing three books this year. Do you do you have like a yeah. writing partner or or an assistant? How do you how do you do it? Well, I, my wife reads everything. So, but no, I, I I look. I was in the army. I was a colonel in the army. I'm a time. I know how much time I fill up every minute. There's it's very rare that you'll see me just sitting. Even while I'm tweeting, I'm still building the brand, writing jokes. While I'm sitting now, actually, I think writing a, a good sitcom would be harder than writing a novel. Writing a novel is not hard. It just takes time because oh, I, I, I I write everything in my head before it even gets on paper. I do that in court, too. I've won most of my court cases, you know, walking the dog or jogging around. Uh, yeah. And when you're putting stuff on paper, that's the end of the process. Well, not the end because the end is editing. But the end of that—that's—that's that's not the beginning of the process. But a sitcom is different because you're trying. You first of all, you've got to make every line hit, and that's—that's that's really that. tough. Yeah, it's—it's it's like a set. It's it, yeah. uh, writing a sitcom is a particular kind of script. Now I've written script. I had the script option. Uh, it was about zombies. It was great. Fantastic. Uh, you know, it could have been made for like fifty thousand bucks, but I never got around to making it. Uh, in any case, um, but no, when, when you're writing a sitcom script. You're going to have to do, you know, every line has to be something. It's like my town hall stuff. I write my town hall stuff like a stand-up set. There's no fat. I don't do intros. It's your setup, punch, or tag. 
Yeah. And that's what you're doing with a sit-up, uh, a, uh, uh, a sitcom script. But if you read my town hall stuff, you'll see I write like a, a stand-up. Look at, the, look at the structure of each sentence. The joke, if I do it right, occasionally I'll read through and I'll go, dang, I, I didn't do it right. The, 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 uh, the joke lands at the end of the sentence, not in the middle. Yeah, and I, did, I, didn't the even, I didn't even uh, mention the town hall column. That, that's, and that thing is wildly popular. Seriously, dude, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to blow smoke, but like what time do you get started? I just don't think I have uh, no, the work. I attend the Kurt Schlichter like School of Time Management. I don't feel like I'm busy. I only do things I like, so it makes it easier. I, I'm 53. You know, I've had I, I'm retired out of the military after 27 years. I, I I've been a lawyer for 25. I'm at the point in my life where I don't do things I don't like. So, uh, and I I feel like I've got plenty of time to do stuff. I you know I stopped and we watched a, a terrible movie on Netflix for a couple hours last night. Laughed at it and shot jokes. I don't I don't even remember what what was it called, honey. The movie we watched last night. It was like Troy, and it had the crack in it. That's fantastic. Because that's fa- yeah, there's no Troy. Like the crack, and my son's like, "Isn't that Norwegian?" My woke eight year old. He's like, "Isn't that Norwegian mythology?" I'm like, "Not." They're rolling, and of course, <laughs> then they then they had to then they had to they had to get to where they're going. Odysseus had to go home by the paths of the dead, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's that's Lord of the Rings." <laughs> Wait, what are you doing? They like took all this stuff. And the highlight was they had this hot girl who was like, because there's always like a hot warrior girl now you for need some that. reason. That's 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 right. And she's wearing like a little leather skirt, which you would think is hot, but underneath, really obviously, she's got bike shorts. That's hilarious. That's yeah. Hilarious. We're just rolling. But you know, I had like two hours that I I I you know, I, I, I had time. I didn't. No, I, I've got to be typing out more of Kelly Turnbull's adventures in you know Blue America, which I'm going to uh, do later this afternoon. Holy smoke! Now here's the here's the other thing that that I just because obviously I do my research. Uh, research is job one. But you're also don't you have a show on CRTV? No, it's uh, Rebel. I do it once. Rebel week. TV. I knew it was one of those. Like I said, research is job one. How often do you do the show on Rebel? Just once a week. Just once a week. Yeah, dude. Seriously, you're like. Are, are you still like on army time? Is it like, it's like, it's like 6 a.m. Get up. Uh, I, I, seriously, I, I just finished. I, a script. I, I, I just up, finished I a pilot about, that I'm I, turning in and uh, I feel like I've worked cool. so hard. Ooh, you have, if, if it's worth <laughs> turning in, you have. No, I, I mean, I, I, I know what the, I know what it takes to occasion. That's, you know, just make sure every line is gold. That's the tough thing. Every line's got to be gold. Well, here's, I, 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 and it's too funny. One of my buddies now who's writing on Roseanne used to write on the old Roseanne show and got out of sitcoms uh, like 2004, 2005. He got out of sitcoms and he started doing dramas. And he's like, dude, dramas are so easy. Like dramas yeah. are so much easier than sitcoms. Comedy, comedy is tough because you have, you're seeking a reaction. It's like trial lawyer. Uh, I'm seeking a reaction from 12 people in the box who couldn't talk their way out of a jury. <laughs> and, and, and it, you're, you're looking for an, so when, when if you're doing stand up, you're getting laughs. I mean, Twitter is like that too, because I get instant feedback. That's why I do it. It's my Sudoku. You know, Dude, some people are like, I want to do a are puzzle. Hilarious. Well, I just love writing jokes. I always have since I was a little kid. We had a very funny street. And, you know, you you got street cred if you were funny. Yeah. People appreciated that. Uh, Greg Gutfeld actually grew up in the same town I did at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably ran into him cruising the El Camino in San Mateo. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. But, okay. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. But uh, no, I mean, it's and, and you have to get a sense of how to write a joke. Yeah, it takes a while. I never had a systematic approach to it. I did it for years and years. Uh, and then I fell in with a guy named Greg Dean who does uh, did like comedy workshops. I broke up with this chick because her dog died and there was nothing left. No reason to talk to her. So I started doing I, 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 I'm going to try stand up. So I go to stand up workshop guy named Greg Dean. And he actually sketched out how a joke works. And I understood instinctively. I didn't know how to do it in words. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean, I didn't I didn't have a system for thinking. I'm like, that's what I've been doing. And, you know, after that, I started getting, uh, you know, I, I didn't make a lot of money, but I got a lot of people wanted to write with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, it's too funny. It's like one of the guys that I started out doing stand up with back in Columbus left a, a really good law. I find lawyers are good. Uh, lawyers are good stand ups. It's 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 weird. There's like something whatever whatever drives people into like I'm going to be a trial lawyer. I guess it is a performance. They're both performances of yeah, sorts. So it it, there's like a weird genetic thread there. Now your your Twitter feed is very funny. Shamelessness. <laughs> a very a very very shameless. Look at me. Look at me and expect something wonderful. <laughs> oh yeah yeah. So, no, hey. I mean you got look I I. I I was a cavalry officer, which is the most flamboyant branch in the army. We operated ahead of all the other guys. And we, we were operating in small groups. So we were very, and we had our Stetsons and cavalry guys have been a good, good, good opinion of themselves. High opinion. I was the, and, and then trial lawyer. I mean, you literally have people going, this is my life savings. This is my business. And I'm putting yeah. it in your hands and you got to, you have to believe you are the best or you will be, you know, disavowed. I, I so, can't. I mean, to get, Ugh. yeah, so you get up in front of a, you know, you get up in front of an audience. And while I respect it, it was like, okay, worst case, I'm not going to get any laughs. I'm going to be pissed at myself. That's the air trauma stand up. 50% of the time, you are below average. Half the time, you are going to say, crap, I could have done a lot better. You will always say I could. That's the there worst feeling. Great, I know. There's a great tweet I wrote today. I said, my woke eight year old. Uh, I was with my woke eight year old uh, uh, saw Stormy Daniels on the TV because we were in an airport, put down his drink and said, strippers are just tacky who won't commit. And people <laughs> were just howling at how funny that was. I thought it was funny. And I looked at it and I go, shouldn't have said drink. I should have said something specific. Yeah. <laughs> right? Chocolate. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has to be, it, you got to be specific, preferably with a K sound. Oh, put my down God. Chocolate milk would have been funnier. You got you got the case out of the chocolate milk. Cocoa. Cocoa. There you go. You've Cocoa. doubled up. You've doubled up on the oh, case. Oh man, that's like triple Yaxi word score, Scrabble word score. <laughs> but you you know the feeling, right? You you tell a joke and you're like, crud, I could have really crushed it. Oh, it's or you think first. of something to top it off with and you're like, damn it. Yes. But it's it's yes. it, 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 it's so it, it, it's so challenging. I don't want to go, it's the hardest thing in the world. It's not the hardest thing in the world. Stopping a guy with arterial bleeding after he's been shot in the gut with a AK-47, that is much harder, and that's not something I've done. Uh, and not, as, and not as funny. Challenge, and it's nowhere near as funny. Okay, so here's what, here's what I'm trying to do uh, with my little uh, Loftus Party YouTube channel, podcast, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to win hearts and minds uh, with comedy, I'm trying to uh, disarm people and go. Oh man, I'm I'm just making I'm just having some fun with you. We're just having some laughs, and hopefully, uh, get people to to view issues uh, in a different way. I don't feel I'm wasting my time. 
but it's it's a long I don't think you strategy. are. Yeah. Uh, look, Andrew Breitbart, who, like most of the rest of North America, was a friend of mine. He was a friend of everybody's. Uh, he he was very clear. And I, 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 I really agree with him that you've got to be funny first. You've got to when you're doing art and you want to get a message, you've got to get the art part first. So if you're funny, you can start doing stuff. The thing about comedy now is there's so many areas that you're allegedly not supposed to uh, explore. And I can just feel it. It's like a giant pustule. Eventually someone's going to squeeze it and we're just going to have this burst of rebel comedy where they're talking about the things that you're not supposed to talk about now, race, sex, yeah, uh, transgenders, whatever, you know, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people who are trying to use comedy to teach and to help people grow gentle yeah. laughter that helps us share. I, <laughs> I would literally rather blood and glass <laughs> than, have, it's too- than have a, than have a uh, gentle comedy. I put a uh, I put a set up on the on the YouTube channel uh, last week. I was out at the the Brea Improv, and oh, I came out. Oh. Yeah, and I and I came out. I came out as a Trump supporter, and it was hilarious. It's hilarious, and it was like you could just feel the you could just feel everybody in the room just be like, "Oh, it's okay, it's okay." Yeah, but yeah, uh, look, I'll tell you what, the, the first guy who who pops the zit's gonna have uh, well pus all over him, but a lot of success. Well. It's people the, the the majority of the audience just howling with laughter, loving it, and a couple people looking at me with shock. And I I'm getting so many people that are like warning me. I came out as a Trump supporter, dude. I was I was on Varney. I was on Varney and Company on Fox Business. Nice. They just wanted to confirm that I actually voted for Trump. It's crazy. <laughs> well, look, the thing is, you know, if I were still doing comedy, and I'm not allowed to, uh, my last set was one where I got in a fight on stage with uh, Tom uh, Arnold. Oh boy! Okay, uh, he's he, he's just a, he's just dumb. He's making he's making just news. Sad. Making news. He's got the key to it all. Well, that was like thirteen years ago. I've like not done it since. Though my when I do uh, actually I do jury closings much like a stand up set. Uh, I also do without jokes, but it has the same feel, and you you can see the structure. But I also do when I do uh, uh, public speaking things. I will have a high. I probably don't have a seven last per minute rate, but I probably have a two or three. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's just, but it's such good training for, yeah. for doing other things. Uh, there is because it's, uh, a, it's a way to express yourself because you're in communication with the audience. Yep. And if I were doing, if I were doing a Trump bit, of course, the first people I would seek out are the ones in the audience who are sitting there with their arms folded, scowling. They're yeah. the ones I want to talk to. Everybody out there, I agree with me. I don't care about it. Young lady, you seem really upset that I like Trump. Are you another of the ones that uh, Trump banged and dumped? Because I gotta tell you, you know, something like that. we're gonna we're gonna we're all gonna meet uh, at the Roadway Inn in Victorville <laughs> and console road, each oh other. Oh my God, I've done the Roadway Inn in Victorville. I was making I it up. I have done the Roadway Inn in Victorville. I was making that up. I think that's hilarious. No, <laughs> I've done the Roadway Inn in Victorville. It's a great thing because you could do you could do like, hey, man, we're here in Victorville, not like those suck asses in Barstow. <laughs> All right. Kurt, you know, do I 20 want... minutes on a meth crazed weirdos living in abandoned mines out, out on the edge of town. And they're like, I know how you feel. That's my Uncle Mort. Five, five people in the back of the room get up and leave because you've hit too close to home. I know. It's like sometimes comedy hurts. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, Kurt, I want to thank you for being on. Hopefully we can get you on again in the future. Uh, what's what's the title of your next book? What's the next one you're working on? Uh, Militant Normals. It comes out in October from Hachette. All right. And, so uh, it, it's a real book. That's I, I, I'm a dude. I'm in awe and I, I celebrate everything. People go out and get uh, Kurt's book. Uh, start cutting lawns now, saving up for his new book. That pre-order comes out. it. Pre-order, pre-order it. that God, get sucker. My up. <laughs> All right, Kurt. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. It's too sure. much funny. I will see you. I'll see you at the Roadway Inn. In Victor the Roadway Bell. Inn. Who's opening for who? That's the, <laughs> we'll that's flip the a question. Coin. Have a great day, man. Adios, man. It's the Labor Day Fiesta. It continues on. Hope you're having a great long weekend. Uh, we're going to round things out now. Uh, we got we got your your headliner. Uh, you see him every morning if you watch uh, Fox and Friends. You hear him on the radio on his hit radio show. He started as a stand-up comic. Uh, I got along very, very well with this dude. He's a great guy, good human being. Uh, I really dig him. Uh, here's my little chat with Brian Kilme. Joining us next, we've got Fox News anchor and uh, best-selling author, all-around great guy, Brian Kilmeade. Brian, what is happening? I want to talk about your book right out of the gate, Andrew Jackson. What's the, what's the title of the book? Uh, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, The Battle That Shaped America's Destiny. Now, it's very interesting because when people think of you as a comedian, you wouldn't think that you had an interest in history. Although you watch Colin Quinn on Broadway, and he does a, a funny history of the world, yeah. which is hysterical. So all you guys have to know, so have pretty much some depth in these things. I don't know, man. I was Listen, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I love Colin. He's a super funny dude. I was so jealous of his Broadway show. I'm going to do my own. Right. However, uh, a million years ago, I got I was fascinated with the War of 1812 and the Battle of New Orleans. I did a huge stand-up routine on it and it ended up I, I did a show for the History Channel about it. There was a there was no a way. raps I'm not even kidding. It's it is the one of the most fascinating I think uh, points in in American history and how Andrew Jackson, this crazy hillbilly, goes down to New Orleans with like a ragtag group of dudes. They get freed black slaves. They get pirates to hook them up with some gunpowder and and cannons. And they they cheated in my mind uh, in the battle, but they won. They defended. It was it's it's amazing. It's a movie. It's a book. I'm so glad you wrote the book. Yeah. I mean, what it is basically is is you have the world superpowers. You got the New England Patriots going up against a high school team with no experience who just met three weeks ago, and the high yeah. school team beats the Patriots because uh, you have this height. You have the uh, Great Britain just defeated Napoleon, put him into exile. They go, let's go finish off America and reclaim our colonies and let everybody know who we dominate that you cannot, you know, you cannot beat England. And that's where it stopped. It stopped in the Revolutionary War. They never admitted defeat. So it sounds very similar to Hillary Clinton. I, we didn't lose. <laughs> so 30 years later, they go back and they're going to finish us off. And they begin with a, a, annihilating us everywhere. You know, we want the war, but the only problem is we're not ready for the war. And as usual in America, we start off bad and we eventually get it right. I, I, and then and then the backdrop of this, this is after, ladies and gentlemen, uh, gentle listeners, uh, they had burned D.C. to the ground like England wasn't messing around. These were their their finest like shock troopers 
they burn DC to the ground. Then they're going to come up through New Orleans. How did you now? What what made you pick this? I know you've you've written uh, other books, but what made you go uh, Andy well, Jackson? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you know, I for twenty years I lived on Long Island. I had no idea there was a spy network here. And I always thought, oh, you know what, when I really look into this, I'm going to find out that it's inflated and it's local people trying to make a big deal. And the more I looked into this, the more I thought, this is unbelievable that our social studies teachers wouldn't choose to walk us around and show this spy ring, which was top secret, for Washington until 1930. And they wanted to keep their identity quiet. And then you find out about invisible ink and dead drops. And I went to meet with the CIA and they said, well, what do you know? And I told them, they go, well, you know, it even goes deeper. And they gave me more information, which they teach their agents to give them wow. a sense of what America's history is. And then when I thought this would be a great movie and when National Treasure came out, I thought to myself, I have a better movie and it's actually happened and Nicolas Cage wouldn't be in it. So therefore it would be audible and understandable. And number two is I see the Patriot come out and I see Mel Gibson do it. I go, that's a good story. He's, he does a good, great actor, but I have a better story and it really happened. And then they said, listen, if you want to do a book, if you want to do a movie, do a book, even if you get four, uh, four, uh, buyers, yeah. just to say you have a book is going to be easier. Well, it sold over a million copies and it's still selling. And they, even in that small $10 version, that discount rack, it's still selling because people, you know, even from comedians like you to yeah. construction workers, there's a fundamental patriotism to the country. Then came Tripoli pirates and our first war against Muslim extremists. I don't think I could do Jefferson complete. I know I can't. I can't do Washington. Are you kidding me? I can't do Andrew Jackson's life. John Meacham closed the book on that forever, but I could give you one battle and I, that I think is underappreciated and I could bring attention to it and I could be accurate, but I want to keep it moving, tapping into my sports background. My idea is don't give a lot of the color that gets people bored. We'll save that for the Harvard professors. Keep a story moving. Keep it accurate. Keep it concise and tell everybody why it matters. And that's yeah. pretty much what I try to do here because it does matter. That uh, it, it really does. And that's a that's a great instinct, man. I'm trying to think, oh, golly, who's the dude that wrote uh, Jurassic Park? And uh, oh, uh, he's uh, also from Long Island. Uh, is he really? Yeah, he's also from Manhasset, the Manhasset area. Big tall guy. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah. Right? And he did he did ER, but man, his books had yeah. such great pacing. They just had such great pacing. They read uh they, they read like like movies. And you can see, oh, okay, I can see why. He did Westworld. Uh anyway, uh we're we're getting off the track. So Crichton. did you did, Michael Crichton. Michael, Michael Crichton. Crichton. There you go. Now you you go to the, the the final round of Jeopardy. Um, did you go down to New Orleans and look at like battle sites and stuff? Because that that's what Michael, I do. It's unbelievable, and you know I, I have a lot of interest. I am stunned how interested I am in this, and to go to the battlefield and see it and see how it was preserved and have these dedicated people and rangers who don't make a ton of money but have such passion for it to be able to walk me through the battlefield. And what we're doing is on December 3rd, Fox has been kind enough to allow me to do a special. So we flew a drone over it. And our, uh, our uh, like almost every major news network, all the photographers have an option to go get a drone license. So now we threw a drone over it. So as we talk about it, you'll see the battlefield. But instead of swamps and woods, it's open field now. And you could see what the, where the British came in. And you could see where America dug in. The berms are still there. Some of the original cannons are still there. They're the canal they dug to prevent the British from coming into New Orleans and getting over wow. the berm. And you could still see the indent. 
And these people kept it alive all these centuries. And every January 8th, they celebrate. And the Ursula nuns that prayed for Jackson's victory, that Jackson believed gave him uh, this unfathomable push that came from above, they still come out and bang pots in celebration. And now that, that convent that Jefferson promised to save and Jackson assured it, uh, they keep it as a museum. And I went that is, there too. That is amazing. So oh, now hold on. Now I, I want to find this out. And and there's no there's no shame in this. I'm not trying. Are you like sitting down at the at, at your laptop and doing all this work yourself? Are you? Do you have an assistant? Someone who's I got, like, I got help- two things. I got a couple of things with um, well Washington. I literally had 20 years of uh, yellow pad notes. So I would I would just have these books out. I take it out of the library. And they really date back to the 40s and 50s. And I would take notes because it was written not to be read. It was written almost documents. But with Jefferson, I went into the Jefferson Library and I had the best guy just sit there and go, you know, no one was interested in Jefferson's fight against the Barbary pirates who were Muslim extremists. So he turned over a lot of his stuff to me and he gave me these books. And then I was able to say, what could I bring new? So I'm doing that. And I got this best editor, this Bria Sanford, who's about 28 years old and just a genius and passionate. And we're writing with Don Yeager through the magic of electronics. You start off, you, you lay out maybe 26 chapters, you knock it down to 18. Then you summarize the chapters, you go back and forth on that. And then you say, let's blow up the chapters one by one. I got to go back to the introduction because the introduction for me is where I have a, an option to get a, a reader or not. So we wrote that, rewrote that four times and we just go back and forth. And then we have a historian to say, am I right? And I push back and forth on this. Yeah. And I'm reading constantly along the way. And when you have Winston Groom and Robert Remney and John Meacham, who are resources, and then you have this other guy you never heard of called Ron Drez, and he's an 83-year-old Marine, decorated Marine, who dedicated his life to this, that found documents in England showing that they wanted to take New Orleans and keep it and reverse the whole Louisiana Purchase. So when you said, what did I do? I, I tapped into people who were unbelievably nice, kind, and interesting, and I think I put together... Uh, with Don, a unique story. So that's kind of a long answer to uh, you pound it out. You go back and forth. This is too slow. I didn't touch the New Orleans chapter here. I couldn't do. They, The editor said to me, you got to give a history of New Orleans, why it matters. And I start writing it and every other word is literally French or Spanish. And I'm saying, I don't even know what this means. So I kind of <laughs> licensed that out. Uh, I licensed it out. When I came to the book on tape, I was lost. Like, like Ben of you <laughs> and all these things. So that chapter of the history of New Orleans, my eyes glazed over. So I'm out of that. But right, the other right. stuff is is me. Dude, I love it. I'm I'm insanely jealous. I, I love the project. I can write uh, – it's weird. I can like sit down at the computer and write stand-up for other people. My own stand-up, I just have to like regurgitate it on stage. It's a big idea. I can write, wow. I can write sitcoms. The idea of writing a book, I am so – that's the, that is the real deal. I, I was lucky enough to interview uh, one of the co-authors of the, of the book Shattered, and uh, and now uh, yourself. I just I really I put that up on a pedestal. I can't. I think it just, it's just so daunting. But I, I like the way you like. Oh, okay, these are the chapters. We're gonna narrow it down to these chapters, and then kind of then I think I because I, uh, I, I want to do this. It's something I desperately desperately want to want to. Well, do. the other thing I did, and here's here's my method, and I I, I cannot tell you that I studied authors and methods. I'll sit there, we'll go back and forth, and I'll meet, and I'll talk it out. And I'll sit there, and we'll record it. And I think I do a pretty good job on stage telling the story. I'm, you know, I go up there, and I'm able to incorporate all three books 
and and tell people the history of the country in a pretty concise way. And I'm able to sit there with my editor and say, here's my problem. I can't get through this. She goes, let's talk it out. How do you see this chapter going? I talk it out. We yeah. type it out. And then she goes, let me take this. So I take it. She'll take it and go, bring it to a story and I go, what do you think? And I come back and I'll punch it up again. And we go up and we go back again. What I did is one thing that's important to me for all your listeners is that I want people to know I'm keeping the story moving, but I'm keeping accurate. And that's why I gave it to Douglas Brinkley. I gave it to John Meacham. I gave it to Jay Winnick. I gave it to General Stanley McChrystal, who goes into these war college classrooms and teaches these battles. And, and uh, Eric Prince, who's a war fighter and, and a historian. He's a Black, uh, Blackwater's former Navy SEAL. And they were in the back of the book. And then I yeah. do it as a favor. I go, guys, if you can't back, and they, and they come back. And sure enough, two or two and a half weeks go by. And Douglas Brinkley not only endorsed it, he came and did the TV special with me, which he's not supposed to do because he's a CNN guy. <laughs> so he's going to be on the CNN. Yeah. So we, we went to New Orleans together. We stood on the battle and we talked it through. And I That's think fantastic. in a time in which there's a time in which I know you're with a lot of people that hate Trump, other people that like Trump. Uh, I get it. Everyone's passionate. Well, can we agree that American history is something to be proud of? We're not perfect. And this war on history, let's do this crazy thing of studying it, understanding it before you go protest against it. And that's with Andrew Jackson. I don't tell you Andrew Jackson's perfect, but if you told me a 13-year-old would have no parents and brothers all killed by the British or born be, or killed before he died, and he'd be alone at 13 in the backwoods of the South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee area in 1800s, you tell me that kid is shot. He's not going to have a chance. He's going to be a criminal. He's going to be a vagrant. Instead, he ends up being a two-term president of the United States. He was determined to matter. That's an American success story that would be uh, hard to do today, impossible to do then. I am right there with you. And when I it, – it's weird. It, it, Americans definitely don't know about this guy at all. And, and it's weird how like nowadays people want to say, oh, he did this one thing so that defines him as a human being. Uh, in, in my, in my history channel thing, it's like, he was an American badass. Uh, we should thank hillbillies. Like, yeah, grew up a little angry <laughs> because absolutely. Because and the with British, revenge on his mind. Exactly. And when they had no one else to pick, they tapped him. Who is the meanest son of a bitch we can find to go down there? He's our only hope. It's, it's a fascinating subject and I totally dig it. Um, uh, you, you've got to see my history uh, show. A couple thing. of things I think to push back. Is, I, I would love to see a couple of things I want to, you know, did he have the trail of tears? Yes. Did I study and memorize it? No. Was it a mistake? It seems to be un, unquestionably. To have slaves? Absolutely. It's still unthinkable today if you watch Roots or 12, uh, uh, 12 Days of Slave, whatever it is, 12 Years of Slave. Yeah. See, they say, how could this be our history? But it is. It was the history of the world back then. Indians had uh, slaves. Uh, Portugal had slaves. Spain had slaves. England had slaves. Brazil had slaves. I can't, I can't condemn all these generations and civilizations. I don't have enough breath and time. I also am not that arrogant. I'm not arrogant enough to say my generation's perfect. How dare any other generation not live up to my esteem? Number two is, you know, he, he took on uh, Indians, some of which were very aggressive and wiped out settlers, and he was commissioned to go do that by the government. And the other thing is he adopted an Indian boy, and he was the first, he also was the first one that I know of, a general, to say, free men of color, take guns, pay them the same, treat them the same, feed them the same, and if you don't, I will shoot you. That's what he told his army. Yeah. You treat them the same. They didn't want to give uh, blacks guns back then. He goes, are you kidding me? They're, they're free. 
you take a gun, fight for us, you're in. And they fought with great courage. It's beautiful. So there is a dichotomy here. Yeah, it's. I thought that was one of my favorite. That was the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful parts of that whole story. It's like, no, you're a citizen. Give that dude a gun. Uh, now we're going to kill those people over there because they're they're uh, they're the invaders. I, I I love how it comes down to storytelling. That's all great now because that's that's how I, I, w- I did a thing for History Channel about uh, Jesse Owens in the the thirty six Olympics in Germany. Blah, blah blah, and I found that on stage, right? You you've got to have you know the beginning and the middle and and the end, and that's wonderful. Now you did stand up at one point, yeah? I am not. I'm not. Never got to your category. What I wanted to do is become a better broadcaster. So for about 12 years, I I went up and and I would do it anytime I had free time because I was out in L.A. Uh, at a TV job making 5.96 every two weeks and doing all sports radio at XTRA, which was WFAN out there on weekends. And I was making 200 a show. And Love I, was, it. Yeah, I wasn't even making $30,000. And I, what I would do is anytime I had free time, I would do stand up, and I was just starting to get paid. But I came back to New York and Chris Mazzilli, our mutual friend, who yeah. I saw do stand up, and he used to organize all the comics. And we know each other from soccer, and his brother played with my brother. And he couldn't have been more supportive of him at Gotham. And he said, Brian, I'm removing myself from the process. And I felt like I was right there when the Fox News called and said, we want you to start filling in in the mornings. And to get up at 2.30 and get off the stage at 11.30 worked for about a week. <laughs> and then I said, I got to make a choice. But, but who knows if I'm going to keep this job or not. And now all these years later... If um, a Fox guy hopped up on stage in New York City, not only would it be an empty building, but uh, they feel as though it would bring too much controversy and it's not practical for a person that actually wants to recognize his kids in a picture and also <laughs> to have to get up at this hour. And also, I think it's something that needs to be done full time, if you know what I'm saying. I have so much respect for you guys and I know what it takes, but to me, to be a successful comedian is is like the offensive line of entertainment. If like if you could block, if you could do all these things, there's nothing you can do. And you grind it out. You go up there raw. You don't know who your audience is. You don't know if they like you. You don't know if you're going to perform. It's it's so exciting and so rewarding. But I'm not in your category. I don't think I ever would have gotten there. But it's so unbelievable training. I got up and I spoke to 400 people uh, yesterday. And they're like, yeah. what are you going to say? I'm thinking to myself, who cares? I'm like, I go up there with information. And if I say something mildly funny, they're stunned. When you go up there and they expect <laughs> to laugh. Now, that's the challenge. So I get it's these true. laughs and I'm saying to myself, but if you were expecting my, if you were expecting me as a stand-up, you know, you wouldn't be laughing. But you're expecting to get information and news and Trump and Gore yeah. and uh, Clinton. And, and when I'm able to have a sense of humor then people are like, this guy's hysterical. But if I was hired as a comedian, you'd be like, he's okay. You know, See, that's, that's, that's classic salesmanship right there. You under, you, you under promise, you over deliver. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'd hate to be you or Kevin James and say, this guy's hysterical. Oh my God. You've already set the bar at seven foot seven inches. Oh man. See now I get, I, I didn't go to Kevin's taping and, and I, I told him this, his Netflix special. Uh, I was with him on the road for quite a bit, you know, you know, blah, blah. Uh, but, but it's all him. He's, he's hilarious. But I get to a point where I'm like, like a guy like Kevin James or someone like they're selling out these huge venues. People are paying a ton of money and they want, they want him to succeed. 
And I'm like, Kevin, oh, yeah. Yeah. they all want you to be funny. They all are rooting, and that's the dream. Like, I'll go up, I, I do a thing, I go up uh, to Governor's every Sunday night and just work on new material. I get such a thrill out of 200 people laughing at something I say when they're like, not sure, who is this guy? What's he all about? What's right. he saying? Oh, he's, he's pro-Trump. What the what? So that's always fun. <laughs> but to yeah. have a giant audience of people who either A, uh, want you to do great or like you're doing, they're like, oh man, this is going to be so dry. It's that newscaster guy. And then when you can throw in a few uh, little zingers and be slightly entertaining, that's got to be great. But, but the other thing is, is it if you go up on stage for a significant period of time, and I'm not, I don't consider myself a stand-up comic, but you just go up there every time you can, that's six o'clock at a major, co- you know, or you go to a hospital and you do stand-up. No one can stop you from doing stand-up. That's what I found so intriguing about broadcasting. You got to kind of it's frustrating about broadcasting because you got to kind of wait. You wait for that job. You wait for the audition. You hope to do well, but no one can stop you from doing stand-up seven days a week. So I wanted to be able to sleep at night. So I had to do something productive. So even if I was asked to go up six o'clock at a major club at an improv in Los Angeles or up in Santa Barbara, that's okay. You know what? Yeah. There's 44 people there. You know, I'm not a stand-up for a living anyway. If there are 44 people, that hopefully they're not comedians, and you have a legitimate shot of making them laugh and getting an honest idea of your material. So, you know, I, I go do it. And you, there's nothing stopping you from doing stand-up and, well, until you get a family and you have a soccer game or, or a recital or a back-to-school yeah. night. Then you say, am I being selfish or not? But uh, I just it. think that when you go do that, it just frees you to do everything else on stage, and it gives you a confidence. Also, what you got, would you have a very rare skill in that you don't need things verbatim. I know so many anchors that if you don't give them a script, they want to know what your ad lib is. And I, it almost makes me laugh. I want the opposite. I'm like, do I need to use that script? I'd rather, you know, I'd rather ad lib it all because I had the opportunity to do sports would help, number one. And number two, to do stand up where you have a premise. You yeah. don't have, you know, I know some people write them out verbatim. I I'm- never did. I'm not blowing smoke, but like in the morning, because, you know, I, I've got uh, the website that I'm doing and my stand up. I like to know what's going on in the world of politics and I like to see, you know, just what's going on. I watch I watch Fox and Friends and there are so many mornings. I'm not kidding you, dude. I am not kidding. You'll have a really funny like one liner or reaction or ad lib and you'll just see. And, and I love your co-hosts. They're, they're, they're wonderful. But they just, you can see them like processing, processing. What happened is a lot it's of my great. friends, a lot of my friends say, Brian, you make me grimace because they don't get your humor. And like, I feel bad for you. I go, don't feel bad for me. I'm in it for me. And I'm in it for the people <laughs> that might be able to figure it out at home. And sometimes I look back and go, that wasn't funny. But other <laughs> times I'm like, I know I nailed that and I got no reaction. What happened is they replaced our crew with robots. I only have a floor manager, so now our our cameramen are robots. So they work no. in a control room. Yeah, so I can't even get any audience except uh, for you guys. I'm I'm at home. I'm laughing, dude. I'm 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 rooting for you every morning. And uh, what's her name? Ainsley. Yeah, she's such a sweetheart. She is such a sweetheart. Exactly the same. Love her to death. She's great. Deucey's Deucey's awesome. But there's times where you'll be coming live out of a story. You'll make some little comment. I'm spitting coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what just happened? You got to get people back on those cameras. You got to get my, 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 here's the other problem. Like 
you don't know when you're blowing yourself up. And I checked myself big time when I never did before because management can't stop it. I mean, you're seeing these careers blown up every day. So yeah. if I say one thing that could be perceived as, uh, as a racist or sexist, even though I am not, and you're yeah. not, I, you cannot be fearless. It is no, there's no one who's got your back because they can't. So if I say anything, I used to kid around with some of my co-hosts because I knew they were very pro feminist. And I would say something like, as you know, that job got done right because a man did it knowing that it would drive her nuts in a fun way because yeah. I respected the fact that she was fighting for him. I could, can't say that now. No, and by the way, no. the worst people that kill us at Fox are the John Stewart's of the world, the Jimmy Kimmel's. These guys want us out of context to destroy us. So the comedians who may or may not be editing are the, are, are the biggest sword to come down on, on Fox. So well, well that's pretty much in an odd place now. You guys are, I, you, you really do. You have to mind your P's and Q's and I, and, and it's gotta be really tough. Uh, and like, I know they're coming after Hannity big time right now, but just so you know, there is a, uh, a sea change coming. I was like the so. only like openly conservative comedian on the planet for the longest time. Honestly, uh, there's a couple more coming out now. So it's happening. It's bubbling. People realize that it's ridiculous. People realize that you you are allowed to disagree. And I don't want to, like, start designing posters for can't we all get together and crap like that. I want to lead by example. I just want to be a funny dude who's also uh, leans to the right. And I don't think big government has all the solutions. And so, well, Mike, what I want to do, too, is here's the thing. Can you send me a couple of these clips? Because uh, comedians uh, and Fox and CNN and MSNBC, it just could be trouble, you know, because, and by the way, when I say eggshells, eggshells are too firm for what we're walking on. <laughs> so it's, I'm serious. So if I, you could send me some clips so I could pitch it, because I'm hosting Tucker at, on Wednesday and Friday, and then I'm doing it between Christmas and New Year's. If you could send me a couple of clips and you could actually say, uh, I feel like, uh, what you're saying now is what people 10 years ago say is when come out and say I'm gay, that was yeah. considered courageous. What you just said is considered extremely courageous. It and is. And the guy that I have so much, right. And, and what, what a guy who actually I find heartening now is Bill Maher. Bill Maher uh, says, you know, you know, you know, what the hell's going on? Why don't people call out Muslims? And why are we condemning every person who comes out and says they're pro Trump? You might, they may hate him. But he yeah, wants yeah. to give people an opportunity to say it. So I give Bill Moore a lot of respect. Me too. Me too. Like it, it goes both ways. And and uh, man, I, we could we could talk forever, but I don't want to chew up the rest of your day. Uh, I'm super excited. Yeah, I'll I'll send you uh, some stuff to me. Just uh, we'll we'll edit this part out. But just uh, just uh, shoot me a text with your email. Uh, I'll sh I'll oh, shoot no, you some you clips. Can, you can keep it on. If people want to get in touch with me, kill me at foxnews.com. Oh, you gave the work one. <laughs> uh, no, it's, no, no, but no, no, it's the real one. Um, and that's the one I, I get to. And right now I'm getting killed because I think Roy Moore uh, should not be running. And I believe this is the crazy thing. I believe nine women and I have two kids, uh, two daughters. If he was to ask them out, they're the ninth and 11th grade. I said I would kick his head in and everybody is writing me uh, conservative uh, saying I've sold out. And how dare I say that? To me, that is that shows such a disorientation and a scary reaction. 
So when you say there's a rebalancing, I think people are going to rebalance and say, can you be a human being first and not be a Republican or Democrat? Because he likes the Ten Commandments. Um, the 11th, I should date women, date teenage women, doesn't work for me. So can it you is, stand for anything? This is fantastic. And like, like I'm going to quote that, like be a human being first and a Republican second. That is what it's all about. And, and that is the message that has been lost in everything like I would I would like eight years 10 years 12 years and and that's what I'm trying to do with uh, the loftusparty.com just be a human being first politics come second but we all know what the what we all know what right and wrong is so we got to call it out wherever we see it right yeah you have no credibility if you don't I mean you have none so dig it all right I'm gonna go out and get a copy of the book I'm gonna send you some clips uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Go spend time with your family. Uh, God bless you for 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 doing the airport thing. I'm gonna be back in it yeah. soon myself. It's a drag. Right. So my other thing, if people want to get it signed and personalized, it goes to the book review in Huntington, and I sign once a week, send it around the country. You go to BrianKillme.com. All right. I'm gonna go to BrianKillme.com. I might uh, Huntington here on Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that's also on my website as a way to get me directly too. I go through all my email. All right. I will. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how we give you so much for free. We're awesome people. Hey, I hope you had a great summer. I hope summer uh, 2018 was good for you. I hope you enjoyed this show. I know I did. Selena Zito, Kurt Schlichter, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks to you guys. Uh, Big shout out to Kung Fu Rick. Big shout out to the Liberty Gimlet. I hope you guys are having a great, great weekend. And a big, big shout out to you. Uh, the dear gentle listener, I really appreciate it. We're fighting those algorithms. Thanks for liking and subscribing to the YouTube channel. Thanks for going to theloftestparty.com and to iTunes and SoundCloud, leaving those sweet reviews. You're the best. We're going to go out with a fond farewell. The 80s skater music. I can't say we'll never play it again. Because I love it so much. (laughs) Have a great week. We'll see you right back here next week with a whole new episode of The Loftus Party. You're beautiful. Apply sunscreen liberally.